excited to uh, begin a new series today. Um, we are going to be talking about contentment uh, for the next eight weeks. And, and I want to give a little bit of, of context and background to um, the conversation that, that I hope we can have as a church over the next couple of months. Um, it, there's something to be said for seasons. This is what I mean by that. Not so much weather seasons, but um, seasons in life, your lives. Um, when there are particular circumstances that are here now, exist now, are real for you and your household now, but they won't last forever. A season, right? It, it comes and it goes. These kinds of seasons, and I know a lot of us, when we reflect on how things are, we say, some, you may have heard someone say something to the effect of, well, I'm in a season. I'm in a season right now of, you know, whatever. And those seasons, I think, are generally started and then transitioned into another season by external forces, meaning something happens uh, with a friend or a loved one, and that brings you into a season of whatever, or something happens at the job or um, with the neighbor, and that brings you in or out of the season of whatever season you were in. For example, a new project comes up at work, and now you're in this season of busyness. Well, that project ends. Well, now you're in a season of not busyness. Uh, it's those external forces that that begin the seasons, end the seasons. The question I want to ask is, is that should these seasons that are temporary affect our overall outlook on life? That is to say, when the season that we're in is not favorable, should we view the world around us as not favorable? When the season that we're in is not ideal, does that mean that our attitudes should reflect someone who's not in an ideal situation? What I find is that the seasons that are brought about by external forces also do end up affecting our attitudes. And we become seasonal in our attitudes as well. So then enters the word contentment, <laughs> a, a word that says, um, if I am content, I am satisfied in life. I am um, fulfilled. I don't lack. Contentment would say these things. I don't, I don't think contentment says I'm always big grin, smiling, everything's okay, everything's okay. I don't think that's contentment. I think contentment is regardless of what's happening around me, it's okay and it's going to be okay. It's difficult to not let our circumstances affect our demeanors, our perspectives, our attitudes. The goal of this series, though, is to move this idea of contentment from something we experience in seasons 
to something we constantly journey with. Perhaps God would do something in our lives. Perhaps he has done something in your life to where you went from, you know, I'm just in a real season of contentment right now, to I will live my life with a spirit of contentment. You see the differences there? Um, not allowing the seasons we find ourselves in affect seasons that we would be in um, emotionally. That, that contentment somehow, some way, and in many ways impossibly, <laughs> can be the constant in our lives. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at several different things regarding this idea of contentment, but then also what it means to be human. We're going to look at how God has created us and how God has organized us, what he has invited us into that keeps us most natural. If we were to fit in with these things that God invites us into, we would feel as though we are being natural because he created us. He wired us together. We're going to observe what Jesus counts as what it means to be blessed. A lot of times, contentment is driven by haves and have-nots. I have this, so I'm content. I don't have this, so I'm not content. And then we get the word blessing that's thrown in there, and we, you know, we, and rightfully so. I think, I think if we sat down long enough, we could think of at least one reason why we're blessed, right? <laughs> um, but we're going to look at how Jesus, what he considers blessing. And I don't want us to miss the purpose behind talking, have, having this conversation at this time of year when we are months away from what is arguably the most chaotic, <laughs> sporadic time of the year, not only for our households, but for our culture, for the, for the world that we live in, the nation that we live in, where um, we really become heightened to what we don't have and what we want. <laughs> Because the time of the year is coming up where we can make lists, <laughs> right? And, and where we can, we can give them to other people. And, well, of course, what's on those lists are things that we don't yet have. And maybe if we get those things, then that can be a missing piece. And it's very difficult not to fall into that. And it's, it's very difficult to say, if I can just get that thing, then, then we're going to be all right. What we talk about this series and the example that our culture sets around us, they, they rub. <laughs> they don't match. They don't go together. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas put together would include moments with family members that you might disagree with, moments with others that you might disagree with, um, traditions that are being formed that you don't want or traditions that are ending that you wish would keep going. There's so much going on in these two particular times of life to be able to talk about how we can maintain a spirit of contentment in spite of fill in the blank. That is an intriguing question. That's an intriguing conversation to have. 
The Apostle Paul is someone that has a lot of different letters in what we would call our New Testament in our Bibles. Um, we're going to read the end of one of his letters. This is going to be found in the book of Philippians. If you are following along with one of the Bibles on the tables, that's going to be on page 1,827. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, is where we're going to be. 1,827, once again, if you're using a Bible on the table. This is the end of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. He's writing to the Philippians, as if he were writing to the Peorians. And as I read this, I want you to just be thinking in your mind as you're hearing these words, if you feel like what he is encouraging those in Philippi to do, if you even view it as actually possible. <laughs> Because what he's about to encourage us to be mindful of is some very, um, it's kind of like easy to say, harder to do type of stuff. But this is what we're being invited into, I think. This is how Paul ends his letter, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. This is what Paul says. He starts off real quick. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, this is what Paul is saying, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. How many things does Paul say in that section where you go, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, Paul's a, a human, right? I mean, he's a, he's a human like you and I. And his encouragement seems so impossible. Rejoice always. The one that gets me a lot. <laughs> Let your gentleness be evident to all. And I think he would add to that all the time. <laughs> Let your gentleness always be evident to everyone all the time. 
Um, do not be anxious about anything. Come on, Paul. But what gets me, and this is what drives this whole series, someone has the audacity to say that they have learned to be content in all circumstances. So it's worth zoning in. <laughs> it's worth pausing. It's, it's worth talking about that. So that's going to be our drive for the next eight weeks. Someone said they have learned what it means to be content in all circumstances. Let's learn how to be content in all circumstances. Let's figure that out for ourselves. So um, discussion is, is how I hope we, we get a lot of these revelations together. Um, so for the next five to seven to ten minutes, you all at your tables are going to have a conversation with one another. Um, you have all met already, which is beautiful, right? That's why we started our gathering how we started it. Um, there are three questions on one piece of paper if, if one of you would be willing just to just lead a very simple discussion around these three questions. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, Rejoice always and let your gentleness be evident to all. When is it easiest for you to do that? When is it most difficult? In verse 8, Paul lists several things we are to continually think about or have at the forefront of our minds what is true, what is noble, etc. Do you find this difficult? Do you find this simple? Do you find this possible? <laughs> in verse 12, Paul testifies to the impossible, being content in any and every situation. So, what outward signs, meaning words or actions, communicate a true spirit of contentment? What outward signs do not. Let's kick this around for a little while. We'll get back together to wrap things up in about seven minutes or so. All right, friends, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Sorry to interrupt you, but thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing, excuse me. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully... Um, you are looking forward to uh, the series where we can really explore this and learn from one another. Um, I want to talk really briefly as we close, asking the question, but what happens when unfortunate things happen? Because <laughs> that's the tension, right? It's this idea of contentment, having this perception where if I am content, then I can't ever be sad. And, and I want to say that that's not, uh, it's not, not true. Um, this, is, this is what I mean. If you've ever heard the word lament before, or if you've heard the word mourn, those are good and healthy things to do. Um, the dangerous thing would be to say, in order for me to maintain my spirit of contentment, I cannot mourn this injustice, this loss. Don't, don't go there. Um, it's a good and healthy thing to, to mourn the loss of a, of a person or to mourn or lament the negativity of a situation or the injustice of a situation. 
We don't push away. We don't ignore. We don't hide or run from. To, to say you're content means that you have to avoid bad stuff. That's not true. Contentment says this unfortunate thing happened. I will mourn this moment, but still the source of my strength is Christ alone. I think this is what Paul is saying in verse 13. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. You may have heard a translation that says, I can do all things <laughs> through Christ who gives me strength. Don't get lost in the wording. Be found in Christ gives you strength. <laughs> um, this idea of Paul having found the secret. You know, he doesn't go out and explicitly say, here's the secret, Se secret, comma, blah. But I think when he starts talking about how it's Christ that enables him and empowers him to do these things, to be content, I think that's the secret. I, I think that's the secret that he has found. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. Because I'm still learning this too. <laughs> um, a, a final thought. There was a group of people in this, this world called the Stoics. Stoics were known for maintaining a vow of contentment. Stoics said, I will not be moved. I will maintain a spirit of contentment regardless of whatever circumstance. On the surface, it's like, oh yeah, you know, good for them, me too. Here's the difference between a Stoic and, and Paul, for example, is it was within themselves that Stoics tried to maintain contentment. So don't fall into any kind of a temptation where once again, when something goes wrong, you just have to put on a happy face. Or when something bad happens that's unfortunate, you just have to muster up the lie of I'm blessed and highly favored. Um, where if it has to come from within you, and let's face it, as people, we just don't always have it in the tank. A Stoic would say, I am taking the vow of contentment, and if I'm taking the vow, then I have to muster up the energy from within me. Paul says, and we say, I want to be content in all circumstances, but what that requires is the Lord providing me strength. That's the difference. That you do not need to provide the attitude. And you don't need to put on your game face, and you don't need to put on some, some armor that isn't even really there in order to maintain contentment. It is the Lord that sources us. So when we read in chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's the phrase, the Lord is near. 
So when the bad thing happens, center yourself and even, I'm, I'm saying out loud, if you're in a space that's comfortable for you to do so, say out loud, the Lord is near. <laughs> the Lord is near. Even while this is happening right now, the Lord is near. Center yourself onto that truth. Center yourself in the midst of the storm and the chaos. And he said, what? She said, what? The Lord is near. Can we say that together just one time? The Lord is near, and he is. And for Paul, that's the secret. Is this almost irrational letting go of the power that we so quickly give to outside circumstances. The power that we can give to someone's words, someone's actions, that blind us from the reality that is the Lord is near. It's the Lord that gives us our strength. So we're going to be working that out for the next couple of months because we are approaching that time of year. We, we are approaching when things happen once again, not only within our households, but within the culture. There's a, there's a switch that just goes off. And for us to be able to say confidently, the Lord is near. Beautiful things, I think, can result from that. Um, a good encouragement, a good challenge from Paul that we will continue to explore as a church over the next couple of weeks. But um, at this time, we're going to respond to these things. We prepare space every time we gather for us all to respond to the things that we've either talked about in our discussions or scripture that's been read or a thought that's been shared from whoever the person is that is sharing that morning. And the reason we want to provide space for us to respond is because what we believe is that the things that were discussed and talked about in this room are not just for this room's sake, but that we are taking with us something to go home with and to let shape us. I'm hoping that the Lord is near becomes a phrase that we all say when we scatter out into the world to the different corners of the neighborhoods that we live in, the different places where we hang out and work and all of those different things. I just, I envision a people, I envision multiple households living on streets that say the Lord is near when times get hard. So this moment of response is for us to make commitments, make decisions to where we can sit with the things that we've talked about, where we can consider these things, where we can be still and perhaps in a moment be still enough to where we could hear the voice of God nudge us and his spirit can speak to us. And we choose for our moments of response to gather around the communion table that 
that Jesus does himself. Towards the end of his ministry, he does this for the first time where he takes ordinary elements and applies extraordinary meaning to them. He takes bread, which was shared every day, and he says to his disciples, from now on, when you break bread, consider my body that was broken for you. And from now on, when you uh, partake of the cup, which you do all the time, from now on, remember my blood that was poured out for you. We believe that if we partake in this very simple meal of one piece of bread, dipping it into the cup and, and eating that, that there is a physical, symbolic thing that we are participating in that becomes a supernatural thing that the Spirit participates in with us, where we are experiencing His presence, where we are engaging in communion with Him, fellowship with Him, and where He is able to speak to us. Um, we believe that we receive grace in a tangible way when we participate in this meal together. When it gets, uh, when it gets weird, when we have to say, oh, excuse me, when we navigate the room, when we get a little drop of juice on our fingers, when we can taste and feel that we are experiencing something that's beyond I have eaten a piece of bread, but that there is something that is happening in the room. There's something happening in our spirits. Um, so in just a moment, we're going to respond. I'd invite uh, Tom and, and Desiree. They're going to lead us in a final song. Um, creating space for us to share this meal together, but then to also pray if you need to pray, um, to pray with someone else or have a conversation with someone else if that's what you need to do in these moments. Every single person is invited to this meal. And in just a moment after we pray together, um, I'll be up front. And as you are ready, you're welcome to uh, leave where you're sitting and, and come forward to receive uh, this meal taking a piece of the bread, dipping it, remembering his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us and um, the salvation and forgiveness we receive in that act. And then as we take moments to remember what he has done for us, we find ourselves with an unspeakable and undefinable amount of peace and confidence as we enter into a new week new things, things that we know are going to happen and things that we don't know are going to happen. This meal prepares us. So if you're able and willing, I would invite you to stand with me. Father, as we prepare our minds and hearts to gather around your table, would you speak to us? We recognize that you invite us to this place. We recognize that your presence is here among us. So would you speak to the one that is ready to hear you? Would you draw near to the one that 